Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, January 23rd, we are studying John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. After Jesus finishes his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, he teaches his disciples when they return to him, and she, that Samaritan woman, testifies to Jesus in the town where she lives. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor William Turgeson. Pastor Turgeson serves at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York. Pastor Turgeson, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be with you, Timothy. As we get started today, Pastor, let's talk some context. We're kind of picking up in the middle of an account here. So remind us where we've been, what's been happening in the Gospel of John as we prepare to look at this text today. So in chapter 3 of John, we have Jesus uh, ministering to Nicodemus, who comes to him by night. Uh, And then in chapter 4, we have this wonderful account of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who comes uh to to collect water you know she's she doesn't have a very good reputation she wants to avoid the other women who would come early in the morning to draw water so she comes in the middle of the day and uh and so what does she find there but jesus who is a jew and he's asking for a drink of water So they get into a conversation, and Jesus speaks about, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And uh, she, she then asks him a few questions, and he makes it clear that he's not talking about physical water, but he's talking about the, the, uh, uh, the the grace of God, the salvation of God that comes into the world through the Messiah. Ultimately, Jesus is able to show her her sinful life, her need of a Savior, and then finally he proclaims to her that he is the Messiah that she is hoping for. And so the last section of the book of John here says, I, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Mm. All right? and, and, and the interesting thing about the words there is she says, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says, I'm that one. And then later on, when she goes to report to the people in town, she says, come and see a man who told me all things, whatever I have done. So, so, so here we have a woman, a sinful woman, who has come to repentance and come to faith in Jesus, and now she is acting as a missionary. Yeah, we, we heard that 
mic drop moment of Jesus at the end of the text from the, the previous study, I who speak to you am he, and we're going to see the effect that that word from Jesus, and really the whole conversation that she's had with Jesus, we'll see the effect that it's had upon her, how this word of Christ has brought her to faith, and as you said, she then turns and becomes a missionary to invite others to see. This is something that we've already witnessed in the Gospel of John, that those who learn who Jesus is call others to come and see, and that's what this woman also is going to do. We're also going to see the disciples come back. Jesus has been on his own previously in John chapter 4. They left earlier in the text to uh, go and get some food, and now they're going to come back. And that's where our text begins. We're starting today at John 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor." I'll pause there at the end of Jesus' words there that takes us through John 4, verse 38. Pastor Turgeson, at the beginning of the text, again, the disciples come back. They had left, we found out previously in verse 8 of this chapter, they were going to get food. They come back and they're surprised that Jesus was talking to the woman, but they don't say anything. What What's going on? Why do they react this way to seeing Jesus talking with the woman? Well, first of all, she's a Samaritan woman. And secondly, it was not the normal practice of rabbis to publicly speak uh, with women. Uh, And so when they come back from shopping and see Jesus engaged in a serious conversation with a woman, they're a little bit taken back by it. They marveled at it. But they have, at this early point in their connection with Jesus, they have learned to some degree, to keep their counsel. So they don't say anything about it, but they they do notice he's talking with a woman. Now, they're not privy to the conversation that has gone on here. Uh, And uh, they don't know that Jesus has been sowing seed, and Jesus has been reaping that which has been sown. Hmm. But at this this point in in, in the account... They come back just when the conversation between the woman and Jesus is over with, and they kind of are a distraction, and in this distraction of them showing up and Jesus and the woman finishing the conversation, the woman forgets all about the reason why she came out. She leaves her water pots behind, and she goes back to the city to tell Jesus, 
the men uh, in the city there. And so the disciples watch this woman go away, and uh, and they they are now back back from buying food, and they are going to be concerned about Jesus having something to eat because he had rested there at the well because he was tired and because he was hungry. Mm, yeah, I, mean, th- I think you, you see a little bit of John's eyewitness testimony come through here, especially in the, the reaction of the disciples. You can picture John himself having these very reactions, remembering his own surprise seeing Jesus speaking this woman, but also remembering his uneasiness of, of even bothering to say anything to Jesus, because we're not sure, should I ask, should I not? I'm just going to be quiet about these questions that I have. As you said, meanwhile, the woman leaves. I, I, I wonder, you know, the, the text doesn't specify, I think. I wonder if she left out of excitement or out of embarrassment, perhaps. You know, maybe she's feeling some of the the same awkwardness that the disciples are noticing. And so she realizes she's got to get out of there before things get even stranger. But at the same time, noticing what she goes and says it seems like there's at least an element, some element of excitement that she wants to talk to others about her experience and and get their input, and also, as we will see, introduce them to this one that she has met. Yeah, you you know, here here's a woman who came out to the well at the wrong time of day because she wanted to avoid people. Uh, she had she 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 did not have a good reputation. She had had some strange uh, and sinful living arrangements. And, uh, and so when Jesus guides her into seeing her sinfulness as a preparation for seeing him as the Messiah and Savior of sinners, uh, he points out to her that she has had five husbands and that the one that she's living with now is not her husband. So uh, so this is a woman who is used to kind of avoiding the crowds. Uh, yet, I think you're, you're right when you imply here that there's a note of excitement in her hurrying away. I think that's what John means when he puts the, the comment about the, leaving the water pots behind. That's the, uh, that's the surprise element there. She's so eager to get back to town that she leaves the water pots behind. Mm. I, I appreciate that comment about the way that her her perspective has changed from you know initially going to the well at an odd time of day for the purpose of avoiding people to now that she's met Jesus and come to learn who he is, now she's purposely going to people. It, it really is a, a total change on the part of this woman accomplished by the word of Christ. And now I, I think that, that really does cement what, what you were saying that, yeah, this is an excited woman. Now she wants to go talk to others about this one that she has met. And I, again, I mentioned this toward the beginning that I I think it's striking how she has an invitation that we've heard already in John's gospel. She wants these people to come and see the same thing that she's seen. That's what we had Philip telling Nathaniel previously, even Jesus invited disciples to come and see and now this woman who has seen Jesus, she wants more to see him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <clears throat> she goes into the city, and she goes to the men of the city and says, Come, see a man who told me all things, whatever I did. 
All right, so that's an interesting way of putting it. So she says, come and see, all right? But she says, come and see a man who told me all things. <clears throat> One of the commentaries that I was reading talked about the fact that the, the Samaritans, they had a very limited understanding of the coming of the Messiah, but one of the strongest notions of, of, the, of the Samaritan understanding of the Messiah is that he will be a teacher. Hmm. They were not quite looking for the military leader and conqueror that the Jews were looking for. They're looking more for someone who will teach them and guide them into the truth. And so she says earlier, she says, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Uh, and that's that, that, that's that Samaritan understanding of the Messiah. He will bring the perfect teaching. And then, and then here in verse 29, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And, uh, and of course, she, she truly believes that it's the Christ, but she lays it before her audience there uh, for them to consider. Right. And so then we've, this, these first few verses set up these two situations that John is going to take up one at a time. On the one hand, you've got the return of the disciples to Jesus with their food and their questions about what's going on and whether or not he's eaten anything or had anything to drink at all. And then on the other hand, you've also got the situation where the woman has gone into the town. She's told the Samaritans there about this man that she met asking, could it be the Christ? They're going to start coming to him as we find out in verse 30. John's going to pick that thread up again in verse 39, which we'll read that part of the text in a little bit. First, he's going to tell us more about what happens when the disciples come back, because again, they've kind of been out of the picture for a while in the narrative. Again, in 4 verse 8, we found out they had gone away to buy food, which is why Jesus has been by himself for so long. Now they're here again. We know they have some questions, and so they. And this, this is just pretty typical of the disciples, I think. They're They've got their eyes focused on what they were just doing. They were just going to buy food, and they say, Jesus, here, we got the food, you eat. And, and, oh, man, you know, just kind of bless their hearts is the way that I think we would say it around here. <laughs> bless their hearts, because they just don't quite get it. Yep. Jesus uses an opportunity. Uh, he takes this as an opportunity to teach. So talk about how this this interaction between Jesus and his disciples starts there in 31 and 32. Well, so the woman is left. And, and she goes into town, and then it says, then the men of the town, they went out of the city and were coming to him. So in the background of our action in verse 31 is a group of men from the city are on their way to Jesus, right? And uh, in the meantime, it says uh, here in verse 31, in the meantime... His disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You know, they, they were very solicitous for him. They had gone to get supplies in the town, and now they're back, and they're urging him, have something to eat. He says to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to lift their attention away from the mundane uh, to, 
higher things, to spiritual things. Uh, and so he speaks of food, sustenance, that, he, that they do not know about. And, uh, and, of course, what do they do? They immediately start murmuring among themselves the way they, they are so uh, often doing. The disciples said to one another, has anything, any, anybody brought him anything to eat? What's going? What's going on here? Yeah. Right. Right. So, so they're they're like missing the point. Jesus lays this nice little uh, fastball at them. I have food to eat which you do not know. They miss the opportunity, and then he says, "My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work." Now here, Jesus is more direct. First of all. He, he uses a phrase that is repeated numerous times in John's Gospel, where he talks of the Father as him who sent me, all right? So that Jesus is the one sent by the Father to bring everlasting life into the world. So, so my food is to do the will of him who sent me, and then the second part of this passage, Jesus says, and to finish his work or to accomplish his work. And this, of course, reminds us of Jesus on the cross and saying, it is finished or it is accomplished. And so here Jesus reminds the disciples, number one, that he is sent into the world by the Father, and he is sent into the world with a work to do, and that Jesus, he, he is sustained by, his food is to do that will of the Father and to finish the work, which includes his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension. I, I really love that connection there in verse 34 that you're making with the word in, in the ESV to accomplish his work, but to finish that same thing that he speaks from the cross in John chapter 19, it is finished. So he's already here in John chapter four, as we've seen him previously in John chapter three, and even in John chapter two, speak about his upcoming death. He's continuing to do that already. Now, a couple of, a couple of questions, Pastor Turgeson, especially as, you know, thinking about the disciples here and their uh, seeming lack of understanding as to what's going on. You know, I, I'm reminded of, and I forget exactly when it happens in the Synoptic Gospels. I think it's it's either after the feeding of the 5,000 or maybe the feeding of the 4,000, where Jesus starts talking to them about the leaven of the Pharisees, and they think it's because they forgot to bring bread. You know, you have a similar sort of confusion here happening, it seems, where they're thinking about the food that's in front of them, and Jesus wants to talk about something else. But but thinking about that in in connection with the woman that Jesus has just been speaking to, do you, do you think there's a there's an intention here on John's part to have a little bit of a contrast between the woman on the one hand, who's who's confronted by Jesus with her sin, and then hears the truth about him and, and believes, and then the disciples who who have this bit of a misunderstanding. Is there you think there's any contrast between those two, or is that maybe maybe those aren't contrasting, but almost complementary? That you know, people when they listen to Jesus, sometimes it it clicks and they they believe, and sometimes it, it takes a little more teaching from him. I don't know. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I mean. 
when you read chapter 4 here, especially the account of Jesus talking to the woman, you see that she is uh, sins not with not to be uh, belittled or anything, but she's a very bright woman, mm-hmm. and she takes Jesus up on the things that he says, and she responds appropriately, and they have this dialogue that goes on and on, and as the dialogue goes on, she shows herself to be more and more convinced until finally at the end when she has uh, learned of Jesus that the hour is coming and now is that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. Uh, And she says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And, and, And by saying that, she's waiting for him to say something back. He says the thing back, I who speak to you am he. This is a contrast between this woman and the disciples. And I think the reason for it is to highlight the idea that the gospel is for all people. Because here, the Jewish disciples, they seem a little bit dull. Uh, They keep missing the point. But this Samaritan woman, uh, sinful though she was, she really grabs hold of it. And this is kind of like the story of the uh, Magi in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, Right there at the beginning, there is a sign given so that we may know that he who is named Jesus to save his people from their sins is is also, by saving his people from their sins, opening up salvation to all the world. And so Jesus comes through the Abrahamic uh, genealogy into the world, and and his salvation includes the Gentiles. So here in John's Gospel, the disciples seem to be a little bit slow on the uptake, but this woman is not slow on the uptake at all. She is, uh, she is hungry to hear what Jesus says, and when he says it, she receives it, and she comes to faith. And once she comes to faith, she wants to share it with others. Mm. Yeah, and the disciples aren't the only ones we've seen in John's Gospel who have either been slow on the uptake or, you know, even there are some who have been out and out more hostile toward Jesus. You started off in the context reminding us of Nicodemus in chapter 3, and we talked about this previously, that there does seem to be a contrast between Nicodemus, who's a teacher of Israel and yet doesn't understand these things, and then this woman at the well who— does grasp these things, who, who does receive in faith the word of Christ. I, I think the other thing that, that stands out to me in, in that context, in addition to what you're saying about this is the gospel for all people, not just for those of, of Israel, but Samaritans and Gentiles as well, the other thing that stands out to me then is that Jesus remains quite patient with his disciples. And we've you know, we've seen this already, too, in, in John chapter 1. I remember Nathaniel and, and how he didn't initially like the fact that Jesus had come from Nazareth. Jesus didn't just throw him under the bus. He, he invited him to come and see and, and did something very similar with Nathaniel as he did with this woman in the well in terms of woman at the well in terms of revealing some of the things about Nathaniel that, that Jesus couldn't have known apart from divine knowledge. 
Jesus doesn't just, you know, forsake his disciples or completely rebuke them, but rather he continues to patiently teach them so that even though they are a bit slow on the uptake here, he still wants them to believe. He still wants to teach them. And so he does that even, even in their lack of understanding here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things also to, to bear in mind is that there has been, in, in, in Judaism of the first century, there has been a great externalism of, of religion that has taken place uh, so that people can take pride in their outward performance of the deeds of the law, even though they are not following the spirit of the law. Jesus talks to the uh, scribes and Pharisees about how they use their own tradition, their, their oral law, in order to cancel out God's Word. And, and so the disciples, they are men who have been brought up in this age of outward works, outward things, outward ceremonies, and, uh, and Jesus is very patiently showing them that there is a heart of the matter that they sometimes miss because of their focus on those external things. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to, to see the way Jesus speaks to all, both the Samaritan to Nicodem the Samaritan woman to Nicodemus to his disciples, I think is a great encouragement for us as we too listen to the word of Christ. And sometimes you know it, it clicks with us right away, and other times we don't quite get it as quickly to see how Jesus continues to patiently teach to be that true teacher of God's Word, that should be a great encouragement for us still today. We're going to continue to look at the teaching of Jesus to his disciples and see how he responds to the Samaritans who come to him. We're going to do that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO this morning. We are talking about John chapter 4 with Pastor William Turgeson. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, January 23rd. We're studying John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42 with Pastor William Turgeson. He serves at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York. Pastor Turgeson, prior to the break, we were talking about Jesus teaching his disciples. He does so patiently, despite the fact that they seem a bit slow on the uptake here. And he's, he's talking again about his food, because that's what's at 
on their minds. They've gone to get food for him to eat. He hasn't eaten and they want him to eat. He starts making use of that image to teach them. And he's said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his will. So I'm, I guess I'm, I'm curious on the the point of comparison with Jesus using food here. Again, it, it seems like an obvious move on his part, just like the woman was looking for water and he uses that to teach. The disciples have food and so he uses that to teach. When he says his food is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish, to finish, to go to the cross, is, is the idea that this this nourishes Jesus, this sustains Jesus? Is that the, the point of comparison by using food? Well, I think I think the way that I've kind of understood this passage, and this may not be theologically sign, uh, significant, but I mean, you know, sometimes when you're a pastor and you have duties that you must do, there are times when you have this wonderful opportunity to see before your eyes everything going well. And you may be ministering to someone, you may be uh, teaching a class, you may be uh, preaching a sermon in, in a service, and everything goes well, everything goes as you had hoped and prayed that it would go. And when the thing is over, in the aftermath of the service or the class or the ministry that you do, you get this great feeling of being pumped up and and being uh, uh, delighted mm. to rejoice, and you feel strengthened yeah. by the fact that things have gone well. <clears throat> and I think, I think that there might be a little bit of that when Jesus, they're concerned about him wasting away mm. because he is uh, because he hasn't eaten and he's tired and they've traveled and all that stuff. And, but Jesus is now in the aftermath of a particularly successful uh, sowing and reaping. And, and when he says, I have food to eat that you don't know, he may just be saying that what he has just experienced talking to this woman was something that made him feel refreshed. Mm. All thoughts of hunger and weariness have gone away. The actual labor of ministering to someone in need has refreshed his spirit. Yeah, I, I think that's very helpful, Pastor. I mean, it's it's something that I think it, it shows how Jesus approaches his work of ministry. And I, I think you see this throughout that he doesn't do so reluctantly or, you know, hesitantly or as if he, you know, oh, I got to do this. But he actually takes joy in the fact that he is here to save humanity. And I think it's later in John's gospel where he talks about he wants his disciples to have this same joy that he has. And you see how how here, I think that's a great way of explaining it, that he's he's been energized. He's been fed by the fact that that he has, you know, spoken the word to this woman and she's believed. And so now he's going to use that as an opportunity to to share that joy with his disciples. I, I think that's really helpful. And we see that, yeah, Jesus, he he does the work that he does because he wants to. It brings him joy. This is what he's here to do. And he he is here saving sinners 
out of the the great love that he has for us, not out of some, you know, oh, I got to do that. Here we go. But but this actually energizes him. It sustains him. I, I, I really like that. It's a very helpful explanation. So so take us then, as, as Jesus continues then, he, he starts talking now from, he goes from food now to this image of, of the harvest and working in the harvest field, both sowing and reaping. Now, what's, what's Jesus teaching as he, he makes the move into that image, starting in verse 35? Uh, it's interesting that <clears throat> they're not unrelated. Yeah. My food, and w- what is it that this harvest is? It's the grain that makes the bread, which is the food, right? So he's, he hasn't really switched completely his his uh, metaphor if you will but he says he's now remember when we left the uh, men of the city on their way out to meet jesus and so in verse 35 what you see is jesus may have been talking to his disciples and looking beyond them and seeing men beginning to come across the fields and so when he says don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. Jesus is pointing to the fact that a crowd of people is coming to see them, and they're going to have an opportunity to minister to this crowd. So so he, he points out the 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 observation that the disciples will make that in four months it will be harvest time and he then he sees the men coming across the field and he says but look behold lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for the harvest jesus is pointing to the men coming or at least this is what i think he is going on here in the text He's pointing to the men coming, and he's saying that this is an opportunity for ministry. It is an opportunity to sow and to reap. Hmm. And, then, and then he will get into this whole thing of reaping and sowing, and how both the sower and the reaper uh, rejoice together. I, I like the 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 way that you're talking about the the group of people that Jesus knows is coming. And it's, it's as if he's inviting the disciples to take a look and see, look, there's this crowd coming and, and think about how you talk about a harvest. Well, here comes this harvest and, and this harvest is actually not four months out, but it's, it's ready right now. It's white for the harvest. Now that, that expression white for the harvest is that, and I don't know. Do you think that's just a purely agricultural image that it would have been white when it was ready for the harvest? Or is there maybe something to the fact, you know, that as, as you pointed out, Jesus has talked about finishing his work. We're thinking about his death on the cross, that his blood cleanses us and, and makes us, as Isaiah says, white as snow. You think there's, there's something there or is it just a, maybe I'm kind of tipping my hand maybe, <laughs> or is it just an agricultural <laughs> image? <laughs> Well, it, it could be an <laughs> agricultural thing, but, uh, but the idea of white for the harvest, you know, in, in the book of Isaiah, we're told, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So, <clears throat> you know, so there is precedent for what you're saying there. 
they are already white for the harvest. It talks about God offering offering redemption and forgiveness. Mm, right, so that, that as Jesus looks out and he sees these, these people coming and, and calls his disciples to see that in the same way, the reason that he can say that these fields are white for the harvest, they're ready, is because he knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's here to do, that he will do the will right. of the Father, and he will finish the work on the cross. So that when he, mm-hmm. you know, when he looks at the the fields, the people coming, he sees those who are who are cleansed by his blood. And I, I, it was at a, uh, I don't remember, it was a district convention, I think, in Texas a few years back. Pastor Scott Murray was preaching on this text, and he talked about that we can look at the fields around us in the same way. When we as, as Christians today look out upon people, we can see those who have their sins are covered in the blood of Jesus. Jesus has, you know, loved the whole world and shed his blood for everyone so that when we look upon this world, we look upon, these are people whom Jesus has died for. And, and this same vision that Jesus has extends to us today that we can see those, all that we interact with, they are those for whom Jesus has died and and know that they too are, are white for harvest, ready to hear this good news. Mm-hmm. And also it, it gives that uh, the perspective of Jesus towards those who are coming, uh, which comes from his penetrating insight into human nature and his knowing all things so that what the disciples are seeing is a bunch of Samaritans coming to them. But what Jesus is seeing is he's seeing this wonderful opportunity, and he's seeing the salvation that is going to be shared and received by these people. And so uh, the disciples don't see anything white for the harvest, but Jesus does. Yeah, yeah. So as he continues then into verse 36, he, he starts talking about the one who reaps and the one who sows. And you were, you were mentioning this. T- take us into those verses where Jesus speaks about the sowers and the reapers. Yeah, he, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So he's talking about in, in, the, in the world of agriculture, you know, you have the people who sow the seed, and then you have the people who reap what has been sown. And the end of verse 36 says that he who reaps and he who sows may rejoice together. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, of the joy of winning souls for Christ, the joy of of teaching the Word of God and seeing many people come to true and saving faith. And uh, there's two different kinds of people, though, who, who often labor in the world. There are those who sow but never get a chance or seldom get a chance to reap, and then there are those who do not do much sowing but are able to come in and reap. So you might see, for example, like a, a pastor of a church who he very patiently over long periods of time teaches the truth and guides his congregation. And it doesn't seem to be that uh, he's doing anything but sowing seed. There's not a lot of results. There's not a lot of obvious and notable things. But then 
that that man moves on and another person comes in and all of that patient sewing that was done uh, gives way to a season of reaping. And uh, so the one guy did all the sowing and the other guy did all the reaping. But the grace of God makes it possible that both the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Well, and, and in this context, particularly, it seems that the reason that you've got the sower and reaper rejoicing together and even doing labor almost side by side is the fact that Jesus is here now because he's the one that's yeah. made the fields white for harvest. He's He has done the sowing quite literally, as you said, in the beginning of this chapter. And now the disciples yeah. are, are going to participate along with Jesus in the in the reaping. The, so the sowers and the reapers are, are working together. It, I, and I'd, I'd never really thought about this until now, but in in John two, where Jesus changes water into wine, and we talked about how there's there's passages in the Old Testament that speak about the hills flowing with wine, and and one of those comes from the prophet Amos. Amos chapter nine talks about the mountains dripping sweet wine, and I remember reading that for the John two text, and now we're talking about sowers and reapers. That same verse in Amos chapter nine, this is Amos nine verse thirteen, talks about the plowman overtaking the reaper. And so, I mean, you, you've got that that same passage there in Amos 9, it seems, coming back into play here, where you've got the sower and the reaper actually working side by side at the moment because of, of Jesus. And I, man, this is this is a very great comfort, I think, to the church still today, as you were saying, you know, when, when sometimes a pastor or a congregation even, you know, is faithfully sowing those seeds and it doesn't seem like anything is, quote, happening. I mean, a passage like this is one of those places where we should take great comfort to to keep at it faithfully, to know that the Lord will do his work in his time and in his place. And even if it's someone else who who does the reaping after us, we still get to rejoice because we're all part of that that same work that God has given to his church. Yep, yep. And faith, faith in the word of God uh, is what sustains even the patient sower who does not see the reaping, but continues to faithfully sow, and so that in the end, when all is said and done, both the sower and the reaper rejoice in God's faithfulness and in his abundance and in his graciousness. Yeah, I suppose there's also then a dose of humility for the one who does the reaping, as Jesus tells his disciples, you know, one sows, another reaps, and and by the way, you're about to go out and do some reaping, even though you didn't labor, someone else labored, and now you're entering into that labor to do this reaping. There's a, a reminder of the humility for us as the church when we are those who benefit and we see those results that, hey, you know, this isn't just because, boy, I'm such a, a great pastor. Well, no, you just happen to be the one that the Lord gave to see the harvest. So, you know, have a little bit of humility and rejoice in God. Don't boast in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm reminded of, you know, the early chapters of the book of Acts. So Mm. Peter and the guys get up there on the day of Pentecost, and they preach, and what is it, 3,000 people repent of their sins and are converted, and then several weeks later, there's another preaching of a sermon, and 5,000 people are added, and it seems like, at least early in the book of Acts, there is this great reaping that takes place after the ascension of Christ into heaven, 
and the day of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the apostles seem to experience this wonderful, successful reaping. And then as you get further on in the book of Acts, things get more normal. Um, but that, that initial that initial impact of the Pentecost gospel uh, uh, and Peter's preaching, uh, huge numbers of people uh, being, uh, being saved because the seed had been planted by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the prophets, and now the, the, uh, the apostles are now reaping what they had not sown. You know, yeah, yeah, it's so. really, really fantastic. Anything more on on those last couple of verses, thirty seven, thirty eight, before we move on to the rest of the text? Yeah, just just the idea that when he says, "I sent you to reap that for which you have not labors," others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. The others who have labored would be, for example, John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus has labored. And also included in that would be Moses and the prophets uh, of the Old Testament, and how uh, what the disciples are now doing is reaping what others have sowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what's going to see what we are going to get to see here as the chapter continues. We're picking up the rest of our text now. This is John four verse thirty nine. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed, this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's the rest of our text for today that takes us through John 4 verse 42. So Pastor Turgeson, here that that crowd of people that was coming to Jesus in verse 30, they get there, and now John tells us that they believe because of the woman's testimony, and then they actually get to start talking to Jesus themselves. So talk about what, what happens here at the end of the text. All right, so here, many of, this, uh, many of the Samaritans in the city believe because of the word of the woman. He told me all that I ever did. So there is a kind of a true and saving faith, which is faith that is begotten on the basis of the testimony of another. And then what happens is these Samaritans come to Jesus, and they hear him for themselves, and they are so impressed that they urge him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days further, and it says many more believed because of his own word. So at first they believed, truly believed, because of the testimony of the woman. But now that they have seen it for themselves, heard it for themselves, they, they are, are now uh, experiencing it in a different and, and deeper level. And so he, it says, then they said to the woman, and sometimes if you read this wrong, you think that they're being kind of snooty to her, mm-hmm. you know, when they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, 
for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So here, you might want to you might want to avoid thinking that they're being snooty to the woman. They're not. What they're saying is is we believed the account that you gave, and when we heard him and saw for ourselves, not only does it confirm what you said, but we have heard and seen it for ourselves, and we are. Uh, we are delighted to confess. We know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So they are really strongly uh, impacted, not only by the woman's testimony, which was important in and of itself, but also by the fact that they they went and found out for themselves. It's like a person, you know, in the church. We often have people who are content uh, week by week to be sustained in their faith by the liturgy and the, and the teaching of the pastor uh, and the sacraments. And then there are those who, in addition to that, they begin to search these things out and study these things for themselves, and they learn by the experience of encountering God's Word uh not that not that private study is better than uh the public ministry of the word but that the two are the, the two are both um parts of the same thing mm. you know faith yeah. comes by hearing the word of god both by hearing it preached to us and also by us studying it for ourselves and learning from it yeah, I, th- I think you're you're right on with the the right way of understanding their words to the woman. It's not a, a snooty thing, but almost like a a thank you to her. You know, thank you because right. we we got to experience this for ourselves. We didn't only get to hear from you, which was great, by the way. But now we actually got to listen to him and and hear him ourselves. So thank you for introducing us to him. I think is the the way that I've I've always kind of heard it, and I think that's that's right on. And I love the. Boy, the confession that they make of Jesus there at the end of verse 42 is fantastic. It's it's quite something to to see how we've already, in John's Gospel, heard some really amazing confessions about who Jesus is. He's been called the the Messiah, the Christ, by uh, by Andrew. And then Philip came and told Nathaniel that Jesus is the one who was written about by, the, by Moses and the prophets. And Nathaniel called him the Son of God and the King of Israel. And here are the Samaritans call him the savior of the world, which, you know, what you were saying earlier, Pastor Turgeson, about the Samaritans often really thinking about the Messiah more in terms of his teaching. And certainly that's true, that he is the true teacher. We've already seen that about Jesus. But by the end of this text, they they know that Jesus is far more than that. He's not only the true teacher, but he's even the savior of the world. This is a marvelous confession. Yeah, yeah. That, and, uh, you know, in in... In the Gospel of Matthew, when the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and then you have the, uh, the Epiphany Gospel in which the wise men from the East come, and they come and worship the Lord. Jesus is the Savior of the world. So in John's Gospel here, we get to see this beautiful a conversation between Jesus and a sinful woman 
and how she is brought to see her sins, to repent of her sins, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when she comes to that faith, she goes to tell other people. And she says to them what everyone else in the gospel uh, previous to this has said, come and see, come and see, come and see. And now she's saying it to the men of her town, come and see a man who told me all things. Could this be the Christ? And, uh, and so we rejoice that the, the, our text for today ends up with the men of the city confessing that he is the Savior of the world. Yeah. The other thing that I that stuck out to me in this brief section is the what the Samaritans do, having met Jesus themselves, they they ask him to stay with them and Jesus stays there two days. We talked about this again back in chapter one when the first disciples come to Jesus, this word of staying with Jesus, or, or later it's going to be translated remaining with Jesus and remaining in his word. This is a, a key way that John speaks about the, you know, the ongoing interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And so to see the Samaritans here, you know, they're not just saying, oh, that's nice. And they meet Jesus and he goes on his way, but actually he stays with them for these two days and they, they're listening to him, you know, all that teaching that's not recorded for us by John, what a marvelous thing that must've been for them. And what a great encouragement for us as well, then to stay with Jesus, to stay in his word so that we might then go forth and also invite those to come and see. Got about a minute left here, Pastor Turgeson. Help us to, to wrap things up. Give us the, the good news that's ours from John chapter 4. Well, you know, the disciples on the road to Emmaus echo, or your, your, what you just said echoes their experience. They said, they said to Jesus after a long walk, they said, Lord, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is almost past. And as the Lord Jesus, the resurrected, risen Christ, uh, came in and sat at table with them, when he broke the bread and gave thanks, he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And these disciples, after he vanished from their sight, they got up and they ran back to Jerusalem, in order to tell people that they had seen the Lord. And uh, he he made himself known in the breaking of bread. And so here we are rejoicing in the fact that Jesus has made himself known to us. We want him to abide with us, and we want to abide with him because he has the words of eternal life. Mm. And so just like these uh, Samaritan men say, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Pastor William Turgeson is pastor at Lutheran Ch- the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York, helping us today with John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. Pastor Turgeson, thanks for being our guest today. It was my pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the Gospel of John, especially Chapter 4, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us.
Talk to you again tomorrow.